0: It's good to see you guys. Uh, I wanted to, before I jump in tonight, just do a little bit of cleaning up. Um, sometimes when you're, you know, in front of people and then you say something like, sometimes like people's faces like really impact you. <laughs> you're like, whoa, you know. And um, I, I meant something in a good way that, that could have been received a bad way. And, and last week I kind of just mentioned about um, just the whole spirit of freedom. And... You know, it's odd that we sang that song tonight, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I think that also the inverse is true as well, that where there's freedom, there's the Spirit of the Lord. And there might be things at Epic that make you feel uncomfortable. I had no idea that everyone was going to come up in the front. I guarantee there's a lot of people who probably felt uncomfortable. And there's things that happen and where we just were uncomfortable, and me, myself, as well. Um, But I'm more committed to freedom than I am committed to my own comfort. And we have an atmosphere here that kind of fosters freedom. And if we embrace freedom, we actually embrace God to move on a corporate level. What I do personally, privately, is up to me. But when we come corporately here, it's not like we can just program in an agenda God to show up. He just doesn't kind of respond that way. He doesn't like, okay after the second or third song, then God's presence fall. It doesn't happen really like that. (laughs) Um, As much as I would love to do that, um, it doesn't work that way. And so, in the effort to not create a program, because we've done that in the past, and trust me, we can put on a great program for everybody, and nobody can experience God, and that is totally fine. Um, It's not fine for me. It's not fine for us. So, um, the reason that we embrace freedom is that we believe that there's a connection between God moving corporately and um, our freedom here. So, um, just take that. I didn't say that as eloquently last week. And uh, just to know that, like, that's where our heart's at. So if you're uncomfortable or whatever, don't worry about it. Um, God gave you eyelids for a reason so you can close your eyes, too. So <laughs> that works very, very well. But I just want you guys to hear from kind of us as a ministry that we want to be a place where anybody, whether they are, are new or old in the faith, whether they're free or rigid, that they can come and be themselves and that God can move corporately here. Does that make sense? So I just want to clear that up. If uh, you're checking us out for the first time tonight, um, welcome, but you've, you've been catching like the trail end here of what we've been studying about the mind of Christ, what first started in 1 Corinthians 2.16, that we have the mind of Christ and we talked about the implications of that and we got on to Revelation and that Revelation is the unveiling of spiritual truths, realities and the actual thoughts of God to us that we have God's spirit, we have the mind of Christ as scripture tells us, and obviously if we have a mind of Christ, that, that mind should have thoughts. And that this should be normal Christian activity. And we kind of just like looked at like, how on earth do we have all these Christians who have the mind of Christ, but aren't hearing from God? And, and you ask people, do you hear from God? And people would often say, well, yeah, well maybe, or something, and he wants a in a taco, or they give you some different thing. But we're supposed to have a conversation, we're supposed to actually have a dynamic relationship with Christ because he's given us the tools. He's given us the mind. So we've, we've gone through veins of the revelation uh, results, the results of having revelation. Last week we talked about revelation versus wisdom. And um, tonight what I want to talk about is discovering fruitfulness in revelation. And my kind of short title is Promises Versus Proof. If you're in Christ, you have to know you have God's spirit. 100 percent. You receive Jesus, Jesus? I recognize I am in the need of a savior. I ask for your spirit to come, forgive me my sins. Boom. Heavens rejoice, You have God's spirit and presence in you for eternal life. And then the scripture tells us of the characteristics that follow from that moving-in sequence of the Spirit moving into your life in Galatians 5:22. It says the fruit, or you can think of the result, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These all are supposed to be the normal expected attributes of every person who has the Spirit. Just like every person assumes that a car has a steering wheel and wheels and doors and a seat and an engine, so are the normal characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit of anybody who has the God's spirit are you with me that these are the normal outflows the fruit is the promise your life is the proof promises versus proof the fruit is the promise your life is the proof how many of you like look at that like list you're like I don't even identify with that list (laughs) I don't know many other Christians that identify with that list I get you So if we ask that and we acknowledge that then how is it possible that you have millions of Christians who have the spirit but they don't have the apparent outward workings of of the fruit? How can you have millions of Christians who have the spirit but don't have any signs of it? And the first thing I want to communicate tonight is that the lack of fruit is not the lack of the spirit. It's lack of revelation. Lack of fruit lack of fruitfulness in your life is not lack of the Spirit, it's actually lack of revelation. We're going to unpeel what that means. How can you have the results of the Spirit if you're not with, connected with the Spirit, right? Some people, like, they don't think, well, I'm not connected with the Spirit. Well, wouldn't there reason if you're not connected to the Spirit, then you wouldn't have the results of the... It, you get that, you know? That's why revelation is so powerful. It's important because it, it, it's what connects us to the mind... And the thoughts and the realities of God. We already know that many Christians who have God's spirit don't hear him. We talked about that. We know that people who have the mind of Christ don't have the thoughts of Christ. We got that. And so now we come upon the part where you have millions of Christians who have the spirit, but they don't have the effects. They don't have the change. And what's worse is it's easier to wonder that, well, maybe I don't have the spirit. So many people look at this verse and they're like, they compare it to their life. And am like, that doesn't look like mine. Maybe I, maybe I need to get resaved. I was one of those individuals who got saved about 40 times in my lifetime. I thought, well, you never can be too safe, right? I mean, I remember the power team, you know, like they'd like break phone books and stuff. And, you know, Benny Hinn, there was, there was nobody I, I resisted an altar call from. <laughs> <laughs> just saying now. Yourself. What's that? I, yeah, probably, Right. Here's the power team. 80s, long time ago. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration. I grew up on a farm, so I'm gonna give you a farming illustration. The word says in 1 Corinthians 3.9 that you are God's field. Everyone say field. You are God's field. 2 Peter 3.13 says that his divine power, which we have, has granted us all things. Everyone say all things. All things pertaining to life and godliness. Colossians 2.10 says you have received fullness in Christ. Everyone say fullness. James 1.4 says you lack nothing. I mean, it's kind of like a full inventory, right? Essentially, you've been given everything into the fullest measure is what the God has promised you. So in the spiritual sense, if we go back to farming, remember you're God's what? Field. In the spiritual sense, you can consider yourself with the best, the most expensive, the, the most feature-rich tractor in the world. You have all the accessories. You got like the backhoe little thing that goes on there. You got the plows. You got all the accessories. You got the tools. You got the clothing. You got the goggles, the hat even. You got the orange vest if you want. You have all the things that God says. He's given you fullness. There wasn't anything that he left out when he gave us our abilities and our capacity to connect with them. So we have everything. Our life is the field. He's given us everything. The spirit is like having seeds. The spirit is having the seeds. And without revelation, you don't know to put the seeds in the ground. You can have everything. You can have the accessories, the tractors. You can have the seeds. But if you don't know that seeds go in the ground, you'll never have a harvest. And that's where the power of revelation comes in is that Christians are looking at all the things they've been given. They look at all the things that that God has given them, but they don't know how to get from a tractor with seeds in a field to an orchard. Are you with me? And revelation opens up that realm. How many know that seeds don't plant themselves? They don't. So the question begs, why would God... Birth fruit in your life that you refuse to plant. Why would God produce fruit in your life from seeds that you refuse to plant? Revelation is knowing where the seeds go. You already possess the fruit of the Spirit. It was just given to you in seed form. That's the second thing tonight is that the fruit of the Spirit comes in seed form. A bag of seeds is actually an orchard if you know what to do with it, right? Inside one seed is the capacity to have millions of other seeds if replicated and made available time and time again. One apple seed will produce a tree that produces exponentially more seeds than it originally had. An apple tree takes four to five years to bear fruit, which that's a whole nother sermon. But a mature apple tree after that time will produce 20 boxes of fruit, each weighing 42 pounds. That's 840 pounds or nearly 2,000 apples from one seed. You guys following me? The spirit is like having an orchard worth of seeds in your hand, but it's up to you to plant them. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 6 and 7 says this, I planted, this is Paul speaking, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. That's why we go back to God can't grow something you aren't planting. How do millions of Christians have the spirit but don't have the change? It's because you're not planting. You have all the components you just haven't seen where the seeds go. And explains why millions of Christians have barren fields of their life while sitting on stockpiles of seeds. It's not a possession problem. Are you guys catching this? That God didn't make you deficient in anything. That we have a culture where you have unfruitful Christians, the field of God, they lay barren and they're sitting on all the stockpiles of the seeds. You don't need a drought to have a famine. You can have a famine by your own choices. It's a chosen famine. And you're going to have a famine until you decide you want to listen. Amen. You've already been given everything to bear fruit. The only thing that you lack is the revelation to put it together. Revelation tells you where the seeds to go. And when we think about it that way, is that unfruitfulness is not the product of failed Christian living. It's the refusal to listen. If you feel unfruitful, it's not because you lived a poor Christian life. It's because maybe you shouldn't pull the wax out of your ears. Listening is the key to hearing to the mind of Christ that he's already given to you. Because you can have something but not pay attention to it. But he's given it to you, and that's why we need to have our ears and eyes be able to see it. It's kind of like, I got a whole bunch of packages this week. It's expecting like a UPS man to have a package and never listen to the person who's sending it to where to go. He has to like a look at where this is supposed to go. He has to know the intent of the sender in order to have it received to the person who is intended for. I like thinking of these things in kind of three-dimensional ways. I'm going to give you one more way to look at it because I think this is so key. Um, Anybody like to renovate rooms, paint rooms? I hate it. So there it is. And it's particularly annoying because I'm colorblind and will disagree on colors and I don't have any credibility to argue for the color I want. <laughs> Anyways, so imagine yourself in, in a room and the paint buckets in the room, the, the walls are empty, but the paint buckets represent the spirit. You have all the paint. You have all of the spirit. Revelation is the brush that puts the paint on the wall. The paint is complete when it's on the wall. No one walks into a room, oh, what lovely paint you have in the buckets. What lovely paint on the walls. The, the only reason that you admire paint is when it gets actually on the walls. The intended result is that it's there, not in the bucket. The next thing is that the fruit of the spirit is about choosing a response and not reacting. The fruit of the Spirit is about choosing a response and not reacting. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, every attribute listed there is a response to life, is it not? It's giving us an expectation for how your life should respond to other situations. One truth I've learned is that how I react reveals what's beneath. You ever had something, you, you reacted, and you're like, what was that? Or somebody else, you're like, hey, so, you know, I like that dress. Oh, it's so terrible. What you? And you're like, what on earth did I just uncover? You know, like you walk into a bee's nest. How people react sometimes is a cue for what lies beneath. And we can respond in two different ways. The first is that we can react out of the flesh. And the second is that you can respond from revelation. Reaction has unexpected results. When we react, we actually have no control. We actually have no say in how the rest is gonna go because we are just reacting at the exact moment, but responding in Revelation is about your choice. When you respond in Revelation, remember you are using the mind of Christ to respond. You will respond like Jesus does to the situation. Why? Because it is Jesus responding. (laughs) Deep, right? When we look at life and we say, I'm not going to, react. I'm going to choose Lord. What what is your opinion on this? I have your spirit. I have your mind. Give me a new perspective. And then he gives it to us. The goal is that we would be transformed in his likeness and that we would live as Jesus lived. But what we find is that we typically respond, which is the most routine way that we respond. If you are always defensive, your first reaction to all things will always be defensive, you're gonna color your reactions based upon your previous routines. If you feel that everybody's always correcting you, you will always be defensive and you'll never get anything through your mind. And when real revelation comes to you, you're gonna react out of it instead of saying, yeah, that is Jesus. You're gonna forsake revelation because of your routine of always being defensive. That's why the situations in life, as they come to us, it's not, we, we don't try, we say, Jesus, what is, what is your response here? And just pause. We're so quick to jump in responses. The next is that the fruit of the Spirit is about purpose and not planning. The fruit of the Spirit is about purpose, not planning. The Scripture didn't imply that we need to plan or strategize for fruit. The Scripture didn't say like, oh, you, you know, You need to work really, really hard and you need to plan all your fruit. No, too many people are trying to prove the fruit in their life rather than allowing it flow out. When I was a a younger entrepreneur, like I wanted people to like, you know, give me, I was like 21 when I, you know, entered the world and had my first business. And I wanted people to take me seriously. So I dress in certain ways, you know, like I'm trying to project the image that like I'm stable and you know, like all these different things. And, but that's what we do in Christian living. We look at the fruit and we say, what does my life need to do to have these be the natural effortless outcomes? And instead we say, I need my life to look like that. And we plan and we strategize and we try and do that. But Jesus never tells us to plan for anything spiritual. He never says, make spiritual plans. Do spiritual activities. Why is that if he did that, it would imply times for you that you would be unspiritual. One more time. Jesus never tells us to plan anything spiritual because that implies that there are times when we are not spiritual. First Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. How many of you did that today? That's what I thought. <laughs> right? The goal is not that, oh, I can't ever have a job and eat because I would you know, be disobeying the scripture. It's, it means that our lifestyle, the tenor of our life is always in dialogue. Whether or not you are communicating with God with words today, I guarantee you all day you were communicating with God and He was communicating with you. When we understand that it's always on, it's like having like a live chat that's always on, right? You don't do like the, oh, this person's signing away, you know. It's not like that. Jesus did not give us his spirit so we would plan instead of responding as he would respond in real time. And the point is that if you're trying to reach fruitfulness in your life by strategizing and planning, it's not the result of the fruit of the spirit. If you're in your mind of thinking like, how do I look more Christian? It's not fruit. It'll keep you busy. It might make you feel good, but it's not how Jesus wanted. Jesus didn't you know, Jesus was never, like, really busy. He was never stressed out. Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so fruitful. Oh. He wasn't like, all. He went around life and, you know, he, he responded in real time to the spirit. He responded in real time to the needs around him. He wasn't like, oh, let me fit in this in my calendar. Oh, next week's full. He didn't do any of that. He made himself available that as the opportunity came, he would respond. If you are purposeful in hearing God, I promise you, just don't think about how to live Christian life better. Just make a mindset like, I want my ears to be available to whatever God would say. And I promise you, you will have more fruit than you want to do with. You will find yourself doing all crazy things that you never could have thought if you would have sat in a room with a sheet of paper and wrote down all the, the Christian things you could do. The fruit of the Spirit is about turning off. off. Not trying harder. One of the things that Christ's life like drills into our existence over and over again is that Christ did it all for us. It's a really hard thing because we want to be busy, we want to we help. Um, I hear all the time oh, I'm trying to have peace, I'm trying to have self control, I'm trying to love Him, I'm trying to, you know, right? I'll think of a bummer if it's like Jesus would say, like, I'm trying to forgive your sins. I'm trying to go to, on your behalf to the Father. I'm trying really hard to remember your sins no more. The promises of God aren't like that. They're not like try to be peaceful. It says you have peace. Just as much as Christ said, I've paid all the, the price for you on your behalf. Revelation tells us that Jesus never asked us to try hard. said the exact opposite. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But I feel like I see so many Christians that carry around all this weight. Oh, I'm so, so much stuff to do for Jesus. It's so stressful. And then the Christians that are stuck in that, they're trying so hard to make their life look like fruit rather than have fruit come on its own. So stop trying to have fruit. What you can do is you can just declare, I'm fruitful. It's a good way. If you're feeling totally inadequate, all you need to do is like, I declare that I have peace in my life. I declare that I have the spirit and the spirit has love. You just declare what you already have. A few uh, nights ago, um, I could not sleep and I was just so racked in my mind. And I got up and I was like, I just need to calm down. And so I went and like, did laundry. And I was like, Did you like watch things? Like, no, I just did laundry. Like, I just like by myself, you know, just. And I was just so just racked. I couldn't sleep. And I went and laid down. And I said, Jesus, I declare that I have peace. I don't know why it's taken me two hours to say this, but I declare that I already have your spirit and I have peace. And I just, I felt like someone had a, a big pourer, glass, something, some big container that holds liquid. Pitcher, gosh. Dang it. Thank you. I picture it, and it was white, and I just felt like, almost like chills from the back of my head. I just felt like, wow, it worked, you know? Like, I just, it was like that, I have peace. I wonder how many times our prayers are asking God for things that we've already been given. Sooner or later, we're gonna have to be convinced of our own salvation. One day, we're actually gonna have to believe all the things that Jesus said were true. When we think about it this way, we can now respond and say, "I my feelings don't feel peaceful, but I know I have peace." So I'm going to use Revelation and say, "Jesus, what does peace look like right now?" Do you know people who uh, try too hard? You know, they like maybe someone's trying to impress you, catch your attention, and they do like you know, "Oh, this is so you know, I'm so buff right now." You know, they're trying to like get a little attention. When someone's trying too hard, it usually means they're overcompensating, does it not? And when you have Christians that are trying too hard, I think it means that they're overcompensating because they're really insecure about their place and position with Jesus. When we find busy Christians, I bet we find insecure Christians. If you find yourself so tied up and so burdened by trying to be busy for Jesus, I actually wonder how secure are you actually in the promises of God? Is the burden light and the yoke easy? And this produces striving. And the more you strive, the more likely that you're going to fall into a rut because it's impossible to strive forever. We're going to give up. And when you do give up, because it's inevitable from striving, is that you're going to find yourself so discouraged that you will never get back up because you're going to compare your health with Jesus according to how hard you s- strived, strove. Grammar police, help. Help. Something, whatever. You're gonna gonna measure. (laughs) No one knew the answer. That was great. I don't feel as bad. (laughs) Strived. All right. Detour. If you get caught into Christian striving, I guarantee one day your striving will exhaust you. You'll give up. And then you will gauge your spiritual position with Jesus according to how you used to strive for him. When Jesus is, he doesn't have any other relationship status with you besides son in right position all the time. Amen. Yeah. He doesn't have all the complicated He doesn't need to go through DTR with you. He doesn't need to like, well, we just had that big issue. And, you know, I don't know how we're going to solve this. You know, there's like 8,000 statuses of relationship types on Facebook. Jesus has just one for you. Son, daughter, right standing all the time. Amen. Next topic. Jesus doesn't want to talk about it. You know relationships that are, like, overcomplicated? You're all convicted, like, I'm in one right now, you know? (laughs) When relationships get complicated, they get, like, burdensome. Can I tell you that Jesus is probably tired of hearing of all the ways you're making his relationship with you complicated? He's probably like, it's not that complicated. I love you. The end. It's like... It doesn't need to have these ebbs and flows. And I think one of the freedom things we find, especially in this this stage of our growth and health, is to say, Jesus is simple. His love is simple. If he said that it's accessible for children, it's got to be simpler than what we're making out to be now. But ourselves to try and control and manipulate and do different things make it so complicated. I think that we can fatigue ourselves by making something that was meant to be really simple be really complicated. I firmly believe there's no such thing as a backslidden Christian. There's just Christians that just turned off their God phone to silent. It doesn't change anything about you. But you can separate the connection you have. You can separate the, your capacity here, but Jesus is not concerned. He's not gonna have you on the sliding scale of, oh, you're doing better one day. No, you not, not doing as good this other day. He always has you in one position. And if you have to force it, If you have to force your way back into right sin or force your way into earning your salvation, it's not fruit. How do you know that the way that you, um, let me say it this way, just because you act a certain way doesn't mean you get credit for it. For example, let's say you owe somebody an apology. There's two ways you can handle it. I'm really sorry, like, please forgive me. The other way is, I'm so sorry that you're such an idiot. You know, you can say sorry like a little kid, like say sorry, like sorry. You know, it gets no credit, no mileage at all. It doesn't count, right? You're like, no, say it like you mean it. Sorry, I mean it. You know, they and you know that they don't. You don't get credit for where your actions are in disagreement with your heart. If you are trying to do things because it produces an outward action, but your heart isn't in it, I don't think that we get credit for it. I think that we'll get praises from men. Jesus says that, that people who do things for the public acknowledgement, he says their reward is in full. They got what they wanted. They got noticed. That's the reward, the end. But when our heart is in agreement and we do it, we actually, I believe, store up treasures for Jesus, that he gives us ability to have rewards from how we respond. So you don't get credit for loving someone to their face, but in your heart, you despise them all along. The and Jesus looked at the behavior and said, I don't care about the behavior, I see the heart. He said to the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. Because they would, you know, tithe mint, like little mint leaves, you know, like they, they would do everything. Their behavior was perfect. And it says that you are whitewashed tombs and inside you have dark bones, dead bones, and all uncleanliness is within you. It's kind of intense. That one will take some counts to get over. And let me leave you with this one: Is um, faithfulness is not measured by outcome; it's measured, sorry, fruitfulness. Excuse me, fruitfulness is not measured by outcome; it's measured by faithfulness. Your fruitfulness, the fruit that comes from your life, will not be measured based on production or output, but on the simple thing: Did you listen to God? You won't be judged on output. You won't be judged on results. You'll be simply recognized as one who either listened or didn't listen to God. Because remember we looked in the verses that God causes the seed to grow. He's the one who's responsible for the harvest. You don't need to be responsible for the outcomes of so many things of, you know, uh, remember it says love those who hate you, right? It wasn't make sure those who hate you love you. It was the other way around. Love those who hate you, assuming that we're going to guess that they're not going to suddenly love you. But it doesn't matter if they do, as long as you love them first. Jesus doesn't uh, match us according to the outcome that our reward isn't how we respond. At the end of life, he says, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. I think he's going to ask, did you plant the seeds I asked you to plant? And millions of Christians are like, you gave me seeds, you know? Like, we're gonna have this great revelation. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that you have seeds in your hand. That you have given yourself everything. If you want to be the greatest, most amazing Christian the world has ever seen, we can talk about humility later, but if, if in the meantime you want that, all you need to do is, is wake up tomorrow and just say, Jesus, I'm ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. And whatever you lead, I'll go. I'm going to cancel all my plans for clever Christianity and all those things in Jesus. I just want to listen. I'm going to respond. As life comes at me, I respond and ask, man, I've been equipped with the mind. I've been given fullness. I am lacking nothing. Surely I'm prepared right now to reply to this situation as Jesus would. I mean, as cheesy it is it like, is, what would Jesus... I'm not even going to go there. It, we don't need a reminder on our, our wrist because we have this we just need to be in that posture and that mindset Isaiah 55 11 says my word does not return void that only counts if it's actually his word not your word not all God's word goes out and returns back Satan used the word of God against Jesus that word didn't come back that one came back void because it's used in the wrong way. So many people are like, well, if I just do busy Christian stuff, it'll have a result, it'll have to come back. That's not exactly true. It says, my words, not your words or your interpretations of my words, my words go out and they return back to me. They don't come back void. How can you do that if you don't have the mind of Christ with the revelation, hearing Jesus, and responding? I want us to be a community that If we are defined by anything, anything besides having amazing, attractive people that I hope everybody single gets to meet each other and get married and (laughs) live awesome lives and all those different things, that's cool, whatever. And uh, amazing whole people, like you guys are incredible. Like the depth that's in here is remarkable, but I want to be defined, if I had one thing to be defined on, it would be that this is a community of people who interact with God, pure and simple. Simple that's it. I, uh, I had plans to talk practically on the fruit and to look at what revelation is on each of the fruit. I might give that to you guys next week. We'll see. But um, I love you guys. That's all I got for you guys tonight.